Good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad you're joining us online. For those of you who are joining us online, good to be together this morning. It was good to, uh, to witness and to hear about three baptisms this past week. So we're celebrating that this week. I, I got in here a little bit late. I'm hoping that was announced, but uh, if not, I'll announce it. Good news. Uh, good things happening. I want to start this morning by sharing with you a couple riddles. If you're like me, you hate riddles. <laughs> I'm going to share a couple anyway. I don't want you to shout out the answer if you know it, okay? You're welcome to mumble the answer to the person beside you just to let them know that you know what the answer is. But, uh, yeah. okay, here you go. What's red and smells like blue paint? Red paint. Don't overthink these now. Here's another one. How many bananas can you eat on an empty stomach? Yeah, somebody couldn't help yourself, could you? One. Yeah, we'll watch Jeopardy together, whoever that was. One. After that, your stomach's not empty anymore. Jared's father has three sons. Snap, crackle, and... Jared. Come on. And that should have been an easy one. And then here's the last one. This is my favorite one. <laughs> what do Alexander the Great and Winnie the Pooh have in common? They have the same middle name. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Some of you will be laughing at that like later on today. Actually, I have one more riddle for you this morning, and you're, you're welcome to shout out the answer to this one. You know, we're in the book of Judges for a few weeks this summer. You see, the subtitle to my lesson today is Plowing with Heifers. Who do you think the sermon is about today? Heifers. No, no. Samson. If you shout it out, Samson, you're so close. You're so close. Actually, today, the sermon is about you, and it's about me. I am, however, using the character of Samson to talk about you and me. It was Samson who made the statement, uh, had you not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. But make no mistake, the sermon this morning is about us and what lessons we can learn looking at the life of Samson. You know, someday I'm going to write a book about the coolest sayings in the Bible. And that saying... Had you not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. It's going to have a whole chapter in my book about cool things that are said in the Bible. You know, if you ask most men, would you rather be like Solomon, very, very wise, or like Samson, very, very strong, we will all say Solomon, but we will all think Samson. Because we would like to be like Samson. I guess if we had to choose, could we be like Samson in our 20s and 30s and then like Solomon the rest of our lives, right? That would be the best. And you ladies, if you could go out on a date with somebody like Solomon, very, very wise, or someone like Samson, again, you would all say Solomon, but you'd be thinking, be kind of exciting to go out on a date with somebody like Samson, right? You wouldn't want to marry that person. 
I mean, you would want to marry someone very, very wise like Solomon. That's the route my wife went, at least. So, you know, I get that. Actually, you wouldn't want to marry either one of those guys, by the way. They both had issues with women. In fact, Samson's women kept ending up dead, so, um, so yeah, you wouldn't want that. But uh, in Judges chapter 13, we are introduced to this man named Samson. He's actually a judge. When we think of Samson, we don't usually think of Samson being a judge, but he was a judge. Maybe the most famous of the judges as far as just people recognizing his name and knowing something about him. He's not one of the first judges of Israel. He's actually one of the last judges of Israel. Um, his story starts like a lot of stories in the Bible start. It starts with a husband and wife who aren't able to have children. We see that a lot in Scripture. An angel comes to this couple and says, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to be special. Which is just one more example of God's word showing us people who are set aside in the womb. That life in the womb matters. And I'm going to say this. I celebrate what took place on Friday in the Supreme Court. Because I celebrate life. And I appreciate the fact that, that life in the womb is considered to be a life worth saving. And we can have a conversation about that. I'm happy to do that. I'll just say this. Bring your Bible. And if you're going to talk to me about what went on Friday, just bring your Bible. Because I'm convinced the Bible teaches that life is precious. That all life is precious. Uh, and that's what this angel tells uh, Samson's parents. He comes and he says, you're going to have a son. <clears throat> you know, it's when an angel comes and tells somebody they can have a son, it seems like a child, it seems like it's always a son, right? It's always a boy. But this child, of course, was going to be special to Samson's parents, but the angel said, this child is going to be special to God as well. In fact, the Spirit of God is going to rest on your son in a very unique way. He was to take a Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite vow is kind of an interesting thing. It's usually taken by someone who's trying to get God's attention. Someone who's going through something very difficult, been praying a lot. Uh, it's usually a short-term kind of thing, but it's someone trying to get God's attention. And there's a couple things that were attached to this Nazarite vow. One, the person was to abstain from all wine, for minute or otherwise. Uh, second, the person wasn't to, to come in contact with any dead body, any dead thing. And the third thing was that person wasn't to cut their hair. Interestingly, Samson didn't take the Nazarite vow. It was his parents who took the vow for him. He didn't choose to do that. His parents, in obedience, uh, did that. So they would tell him as a little boy, the reason that you look a little bit different, the reason that you act a little bit different, is because God is going to do something very special through you. Now, the reason why I'm starting with Samson as we look at these individual judges is, one, it's a really interesting story. But mainly, Samson is a microcosm of what's going on in Israel at this time. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, 
The story of Samson is a microcosm of what's going on in our world today. What's going on in our lives today as well. God chose Israel to do something great. God chose Samson to do something great. We have been called by God, I think, to do some great things. So, Samson becomes a leader. By the way, he fights God at every turn, it seems, as the Israelites. But he comes a le- becomes a leader, becomes a judge. He seems to have some leadership qualities. He's actually a judge for a little over 20 years. Uh, but the problem was the same thing we ran up against last week. The problem with Samson was he couldn't stay away from everybody else. Specifically, he couldn't stay away from Philistines. More specifically, he couldn't stay away from Philistine women. Take a look at Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah. So he crosses the border. He goes into Philistine territory. He went down to Timnah and saw there, which is what gets him in trouble every time, saw there a young Philistine woman. He goes back home. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Which is one way to go about it, I guess. Okay. His father and mother reply pretty much like I think any father and mother would reply. Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Which makes me think they must have lived in the southern part of Israel. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Can't you marry a cousin? I'm sorry. Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. So they traveled to this Timnah. And on the way, Samson kills a lion with his bare hands. He goes down and he meets this woman. They kind of hit it off. They're going to get married. But she wants to get married in her own church. Now she wants him to come back. And they want to get married there uh, in Timnah. So he does that. On the return trip, he sees the carcass of the lion that he killed. And inside the carcass, some bees have made a hive. There's honey in the hive. He scoops the honey out and eats a little bit of it. So much for that part of the Nazarite vow, by the way. When he gets to the Philistine city, he says, I've got a riddle for you. If you solve my riddle, I will give you 30 changes of clothes. If you can't solve my riddle, you give me 30 changes of clothes. Here's my riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Hmm. They can't solve the riddle. So they go to his brand new wife. And they tell his wife, listen, you find out the the answer to your husband's riddle or we're going to kill your family. See why the Philistines are always the bad guys, right? And then his wife has a tactic for getting that information and I hate her tactics, by the way. Verse 16, Then Samson's wife threw himself on him sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Samson says, I haven't told anybody the answer. Verse 17, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. Oh, my. 
this marriage is not off to a good start. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. Another version says she continually, she, she tormented him with her nagging. So Samson tells her, she tells them. They give the answer to him. Samson's mad. You don't want to make Samson mad. He goes to another village. He kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, brings them back, gives them to the men to solve his uh, uh, riddle bet, and leaves. Leaves his wife there, by the way. She eventually is married off to someone else. By the time you get to the end of her story, she and her family are actually burned to death. She dies. Then there's a story, another story where one night Samson slips across the border, the town of Gaza, and he finds a prostitute there. And the Philistines hear that Samson is in the city and he's in this particular place, and they surround the place so that they can capture him, but Samson has left the building. On the way out of town, he actually stops at the city gates and rips the gates from the hinges carries them to the top of a hill and throws them down. This is a man who just keeps doing what seems right in his own eyes. And he completely disregards the fact that God has something special in mind for him. That God has something for him to do. And then, of course, we meet Delilah. And we all know Delilah, right? We know that story. Songs are written about Delilah, right? Remember several years ago, there was a song, Hey Hey There, Delilah? Samson actually wrote a version of that song. You might not know that. Hey there, Delilah, you're one smoking hot Philistine. You're not like the girls I'm used to, and I think you know what I mean. Hey there, D, would you like to come along? I'm pretty strong. He falls in love with this girl named Delilah. We know this story. But when we hear this story, everyone who hears it for the first time stops and says, how could someone be this stupid? Right? How could Samson be that stupid? We we read this story and we think, is it possible that a man could become so sexually inflamed, focusing on one woman, that he would do one stupid thing after another. And by the way, men, the answer to that question is yes. Yeah. Granted, this is a story of male stupidity on steroids. But listen, we all understand the power that women have over men. And we understand what happens when our bodies want something that our hearts know we can't have. And the reality is, Samson's in a place that he shouldn't be in. And he's with someone that he had no business being with. Judges chapter 16, verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek. Again, he had no business being in the valley of Sorek. Whose name was Delilah. He had no business being with this woman. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, see if you can, and I love this phrase, see if you can lure him. What's a lure? A lure is something that looks appealing. A lure is something that looks harmless. What's hidden inside of a lure? A hook? Yeah. 
See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. I have no idea what the exchange rate on that might be, but it sounds like a lot of money. So, how is Delilah going to work her womanly ways? How is she going to draw this information out of Samson? Remember, those men tell her, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. She's going to have to be subtle. She's going to have to be uh, uh, you know, just very diabolical. Here's what she says to him. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how we can be tied up and subdued. (laughs) Not very subtle, is she? Question, how could you be subdued and tied up? Could she be more obvious? Could he be more stupid? But Samson tells her, tie me with seven green cords and I will be as weak as any other man. So what does Delilah do? She gets seven green cords. While he is sleeping, ties him with the seven green cords and then shouts, Samson, Samson, the the Philistines are here. Samson stands up and gets rid of the green cords and takes care of the Philistines. And it's at this point the text should say, Samson realized he could not trust Delilah farther than he could throw her. Right? Although he could probably throw her a long way. And that's what he should have done. He should have gotten rid of Delilah. But that's not what he does. She comes to him and says, why are you making a fool of me? Come on, you don't love me. He says, you know, you're right. It's not seven green cords. Forget about the seven green cords. It's new rope. Tie me with new rope and I will be as weak as any other man. So in his sleep, she ties him with new rope. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. He gets up, he casts off the rope, takes care of the Philistines. Delilah's still thinking about the money. And so now she's like, you know, Samson, you're being a jerk. Why don't you just tell me? I thought you loved me. So Samson says, okay, it's not the green cords, it's not the new rope. You're actually going to have to get your sewing machine out. You need to weave my hair into seven braids. And if you weave my hair into seven braids, I will be as weak as any other man. I can be subdued. What does Delilah do in his sleep? She weaves his hair into seven braids. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. He gets up, takes care of the Philistines. And this is where you're thinking in this story, this can't be true. This story cannot be true. No one can be that stupid when it comes to women. Some of you men are thinking, eh. You ought to hear my story. Finally, Judges 16. So day after day, she nagged him until he couldn't stand it any longer. Finally, Samson told her his secret. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. 
He falls asleep on Delilah's lap. His hair is cut. His strength is gone. He's captured by the Philistines. His eyes are gouged out. He's put to work as a slave grinding grain. One of the most amazing stories in all of Scripture. And it ends so tragically. Let's go back and real quickly look at Samson's women. Samson's girlfriends. (laughs) Bachelorette number one. A crying, whining, Philistine tramp that Samson calls his heifer. Bachelorette number two. A prostitute from Gaza. Bachelorette number three, Delilah, and manipulating, lying, cheating, conniving, two-timing, rope-tying, hair-braiding, head-shaving, super tramp. (laughs) And Samson trusts her. He trusts her. Why? Because he trusted himself. He trusted Delilah with his secret because he trusted in his own strength. Seemed like the more that God blessed Samson, the more delusional he was about where his strength came from. And he decided that he was, you know, invulnerable. And his decisions just became worse and worse and worse. The very thing that God blessed him with was the thing that caused God to leave him. Because he started trusting in his own strength. He he got so invested in the gift, he completely forgot about the gift giver. So, what's the answer to Delilah's question? Where did Samson's strength come from? Now, the Philistines were convinced there's something magical about it. That's why they believed the story about the seven cords and the, the, the new rope and the seven braids. There's got to be something magical about Samson and his strength here. And the, the assumption depended on Samson doing everything exactly right. You know, he's got to do everything exactly right. If you have a magic potion and it calls for two pinches of ground-up newt, and you put in three pinches, it won't work that way. You know, you've got to do it right to make the magic happen. The, Philist- the Philistines were convinced... There must be something, that, a set of rules that Samson has to keep in order to make the magic happen. And of course, by this time in the story, Samson is assuming, I don't have to do anything to make the magic happen. In fact, the text says he was just going to go out as before. This is what I've always been able to do. And I'll still be able to do it. Samson was completely unaware of just how dependent he was on God. But of course... God's power is very different. As much as we sometimes conclude, you know, if I just get the rules exactly right, then, you know, the magic's going to happen. God doesn't work that way. It's not magic. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that depends not on me getting everything just right, but my heart. And the submission and the humility of my heart depends on a relationship with the one who gives the gift, the one who supplies the power. So where did the source of 
strength, uh, Samson's strength come from? Look what the Bible says about Samson. Judges chapter 13. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir while he lived in Manea Dan. Verse, chapter 14, verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Verse 18. Samson replied, Had you not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Over in chapter 15. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. And he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. Over and over and over again, the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon Samson. Who is providing the strength? The Lord, right? Where is his power coming from? The Spirit of the Lord is working in him and working through him. What was the, what was the, 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 the reason for Samson's success? The Spirit of the Lord was with him, which leads to one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Samson's told Delilah his secret, his hair is cut. He wakes up from his nap, assuming that nothing has changed. The text says, when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But then the text tells us, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He didn't realize the Lord had left him. Samson didn't become weak because his hair was cut. He became weak because the Lord had left him. Could God have strengthened him with a shorn head? Absolutely. But Samson's actions caused God to leave. His strength did not depend on him perfectly keeping the Nazarite vow, which, by the way, he broke over and over again. It didn't come from the vow. It came from who he made the vow to. And of course, I'm sure most all of you know the ending of Samson's story. There's a celebration in the temple of Dagon, the Philistines. They decide to bring Samson into the temple to have him perform for them and so they can celebrate their victory over Samson. Samson has the, the, the lad who is uh, guiding him around to take him to the two supporting pillars. He says, I need to rest. He leans against those columns and for only the second time recorded in the text in, in Samson's life, he prays to God. Before, he'd always assumed that he was going to be strong. He'd always assumed he could save himself. This time, blind and weak, he simply asks, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me one more time so that I may pay back the Philistines for the loss of my eyes. And when Samson prays that prayer, he has no idea whether God's going to hear and answer that prayer or not. 
But he puts his hands on those two columns. His hair's grown back. Although he now understands that the power's not in some kind of magic and it's not automatic. Verse 29, Then Samson put his hands on the center pillars of the temple and pushed against them with all his might. Let me die with the Philistines, he prayed, and we all collectively hold our breaths, right? And the temple crashed down on the Philistine leaders and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. The most significant moment in Samson's life was his death. The most triumphant moment of Samson's life was the manner of his death. The most faithful event was his death. When he actually began the process of doing the very thing that God had called him to do. Samson begins the deliverance of God's people from the Philistines. And it's hard for me to read this story and not draw some parallels between Judge Samson and ultimate Judge Jesus. Both Samson and Jesus were betrayed by someone who they thought to be their friends. Samson's betrayed by Delilah. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and chained, and mocked, put on display. Both were asked to perform, although Samson, unlike Jesus, does. Jesus refuses to perform. Both died with their arms outstretched. And both apparently were completely defeated at the time of their death. And yet, both crushed their enemy. Samson, the Philistine rulers, the false god Dagon, Jesus, of course, with his death, crushed the ultimate enemy, Satan. A lot of things uh, alike in those two stories. And of course, there's also some real differences between Judge Samson and Judge Jesus. Most obvious is the fact that the Samson was in that temple because of the fact that he'd abandoned That he didn't trust God enough. That he didn't, he didn't live for God, he lived for himself. He was there because of his own sins. Jesus, his entire life, lived to glorify the Father. Jesus wasn't on the cross because of his own sins. He was on the cross because of my sins. Your sins. Also, Samson's death uh, succeeded in beginning the deliverance of Israel. Judges 13.5 tells us that. Jesus' death achieved in deliverance once and for all time. One sacrifice for all. 1 Peter 3.18, Hebrews 10.10. The Samson story begins with a strong man who's revealed to be weak, but it ends with a weak man who's actually stronger than he ever was. The Jesus story begins with a strong man who chooses to be weak, who chooses the the death of a weak man to show just how strong he was. And I guess the biggest difference between the two stories is when Samson died, he stayed in the grave. When Jesus died, he didn't stay in the grave. 
death had no power over Jesus. His rule continued and continues beyond the grave for all eternity. The one who weakened himself in order to save us. You know, it, it took Samson his entire life to realize where his strength came from. I hope it doesn't take us our entire lives to realize just how strong we are and where our strength ultimately and truly comes from. Romans chapter 8. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you've been made right with God. Verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It's one of the most significant passages in Scripture. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit that allowed Samson to kill a lion with his bare hands. The very same Spirit that allowed Samson to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The same Spirit that allowed him to push those two columns over and bring that house down on 3,000 Philistines. The same Spirit that didn't allow Jesus to remain in the tomb. That same Spirit lives in me. That same Spirit lives in you if you're a child of God. That's how strong we are. That's how powerful we are. That's how set aside, how called we are. Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living within you. This morning, may you completely surrender to the spirit of God that is living within you. Listen, we have been called, we have been set aside for something very, very special. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We have been embodied and empowered by the Spirit of God living within us. So let's allow that Spirit to shine through us. Let's allow that Spirit and trust in that Spirit, trust in God to do in us and through us and with us what he has called us to do. That's my uh, encouragement today from the life of Samson, who seemed to do everything wrong. And yet God still used him. I look at my life and all the things that I've done wrong. God still wants to use me. He wants to use you too. We need to allow him to do that. This is a church family this morning. If we can help you in any way, we're going to sing a song of encouragement and, and you can meet us at the front of the auditorium. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.